Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining me this morning. Delighted to welcome our first guest of this hour to the show as well, Nigel Farage, Brexit Party leader. We are live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter, live streaming uh, right now. Good morning to you, Nigel. Good morning. Lovely to speak to you. Um, so much to talk about. Let's talk about uh, uh, face masks right now, though, uh, because uh, that's an announcement last night. And we were told, were we not, that uh, we shouldn't wear face masks back from the likes of Chris Whitty back in March. Now we're told the evidence is mounting. We should. Uh, they're going to become compulsory in 10 days' time, a £100 fine. Uh, this only uh, two days after uh, Michael Gove, the Cabinet Office Minister, said um, they shouldn't be compulsory. Do you agree with the government now or the today's view? Should they be? I tweeted on the 15th of April, this government will make face masks compulsory. It was absolutely obvious that's what they do. It just, as with everything in this crisis, took them three months to get there. Um, I think the point about face masks is uh, that it does give people a little bit of added security, particularly, you know, in busy cities, in big shops. And I, I just look at every decision they make and it seems to be followership not leadership, but so typical that in the end, when Matt Hancock does it, Prefect Hancock, um, he adds to it the threat of £100 on the spot fines. Um, I think I think in the big cities, people will broadly comply. Uh, I think out in the rest of the country, uh, I'm not sure people will. But but should they have to comply? I mean, there is an argument where, look, if, if I'm told I have to wear a face mask as I'm required to do uh, currently in a cab or, or on the train or the bus, and I do it, frankly, it annoys me that other people don't do it, but they're not realistically going to get fined. If you're going to say everyone should do it, shouldn't everyone do it? In that case, it should be compulsory. Well, so, yeah, and, and you know, back to my previous point, why not do it three months ago when the rest of the world was starting to do it? I mean, that, that is the extraordinary thing so about... too little too late for you. Uh, well, yes, it is. And look, we've just seen the GDP figures, OK, for May. They've come out this morning. There was expected to be a 5% bounce. It was, in fact, only 1.8. Um, and Julia, as you know, London is still a ghost town. The economy is not recovering quickly. We have to do whatever we can uh, to firstly get people back to work, to get people out spending money. And we've got to learn one very, very hard fact, and that is... 
we're going to have to learn to live with this virus. It just isn't going to disappear. It isn't going to go away. You know, we're seeing spikes in other parts of the world. Um, and so I think that wearing face masks, as I say, certainly in our big cities, will become a norm for some considerable period of time. OK, it comes a norm for some considerable period of time. Would you ever refuse to wear a face mask? An awful lot of people who will be listening to this, an awful lot of people are polled, two-thirds of people, of the many thousands who voted, to say they, they don't think it should be compulsory. There may be people who say, look, I'd have worn one as a matter of courtesy or being asked, but now mm. you've made it compulsory with a fine of £100 if I don't wear it, assuming the police yeah. officer is there, I won't wear it. Well, um, I, I do object to the way that it's done, and I find it difficult to respect anything Matt Hancock says. As I say, Prefect Hancock, uh, who looks a little bit jumped up and, and feeling a bit too pleased with himself. Uh, despite that, you know, I do think that it makes sense. And, and, and although I must admit, this morning, I went out, half a seven this morning, to get some essentials. Um, and, you know, I had to remind myself uh, to take a face mask and to wear one. So there's going to be a bit of adjustment for all of us. But, but look... If the price of wearing face masks is we can get the economy moving again to some degree, then I think it is, in these circumstances, a price worth paying. OK, let's uh, talk about the thing that we thought we'd be talking about all this year, and that's Brexit, as we head through the yeah. uh, the transition period, hurtling towards the end of the year. The government, uh, with 25 weeks to go, is uh, now talking about you know how things are going to work uh, post uh, the, the transition on the 1st of January. And, and when they're looking, well, we've seen the publication by the Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, of this new points-based immigration system. Uh, some queries about who should, who should not be allowed to have fast-track visas, uh, including care workers they won't qualify for health visas um looking at that point great point system so far are you largely in favor is it what you were looking for when you first started campaigning for us to leave the eu look you know i've been saying for 20 years that we should have a non-discriminatory immigration system namely that we treat people equally regardless of what part of the world they come from because uh, it seemed to me that opening up the door uh, to the whole of the EU and making it more difficult for the Commonwealth and other parts of the world was not the right way to do it. So in terms of, you know, the big ticket the government's talking about, you know, points-based system, uh, people need to have skills, um, you know, uh, criminals would be deported. In terms of the big ticket stuff, it all sounds absolutely terrific. Uh, the difficulty with this government so often is implementation. And there is a danger uh, that if you open up to the world, but you set the criteria too low, and there has been some lowering, for example, in academic standards, that you might find that you've got back control uh, of your immigration policy, but that actually the numbers that come go up and not down. So it is the, it is the implementation um, and the criteria that concern me, and we've got to be flexible and adaptable with this. And would you be uh, welcoming to the, we've now predicted 200,000 Hong Kongers who, uh, who take uh, the British government up on their offer of, uh, of citizenship and residency here in the UK. Would you be welcoming to 200,000 people from Hong Kong moving here in the next year or so? Well, look, you know, immigration is about quantity and quality. And there is no doubt that there are very many people living in Hong Kong who are highly educated, highly motivated, have modern 21st century high tech skills. And many of them you know, could be a real positive uh, for the UK economy. But uh, numbers matter, too. If the prediction is 200,000 will come, well, let's just cast our minds back to 2004 when we opened up to eight former communist countries who joined the European Union. We were told 13,000 a year would come. 
and hundreds of thousands came in the first two years. And, and here's the problem. You know, Boris Johnson has said to up to three million people, you can all come. That number is simply impossible. Nobody, you know, but nobody has raised any objection to it. But I make the point uh, that if the prediction's 200,000, it could be a lot more than that. And just how exactly can we deal with that? Okay, let's also just talk generally about uh, going back to the issue of Brexit, uh, but that uh, immigration system. Also, yeah. an announcement this week from the government about uh, how they are going to uh, deal with uh, customs and borders, ongoing issues. I have to say, the 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 Ramona element on social media is being back out and about. Those Duracell batteries uh, on their little bunnies running running full speed still, uh, talking about having basically a lorry park across most of uh, of Kent. Um, do you think that uh, we will be seeing chaos? at our borders across the channel uh, when we uh, do actually eventually uh, end the transition period on the 31st of December? Well, only if Monsieur Barnier wants it. I mean, if Monsieur Barnier wants chaos, if Monsieur Barnier wants to make it really difficult to sell French wine and German motor cars in Britain, then yes. No, of course not. I mean, look, we are, we are entering the end game of the Brexit negotiations. So you've got to expect that Brussels and their allies in the United Kingdom will paint as bleaker picture right now as they possibly can. The reality is we do trade in goods all over the world. I mean, look at some of those container ships coming into Southampton uh, today. You know, big container ships with thousands of containers on. I mean, do you think because it's coming from China, there's some little man who opens up each container and goes through them? Of course not. You know, we have things called trusted trader schemes. Most of the firms, most of the companies that we deal with are known to us, uh, in most cases trusted by us. Uh, so if we can manage to do trade smoothly with the rest of the world, why on earth can't we do it with the European Union? Okay, just finally, I know time is against us. I want to talk to you about the this latest phenomenon we're seeing of what's called cancel culture. It's denied by some, particularly on the left, that it exists. This, of course, while they insist that anyone who uh, who tweets anything they're not quite happy with or, or refuses to tweet something, say, for instance, Black Lives Matter support or the like, uh, is somehow cancelled, loses their job, loses their livelihood, uh, removed from social media. We've even seen the Labour Party say that they won't uh, pay any advertising and boycott um, Facebook uh, for the next month or so because they believe that they are promoting too much of hate speech. I suppose it depends who's defining what hate speech is. Are you concerned about cancel culture? Because there are an awful lot of people who'd like to cancel you. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, through most of the last decade and more, um, you know, what the mob have tried to do is to prevent me from going out campaigning, to prevent me from speaking at public events. Um, and, you know, we have this new phenomenon of people that do not respect the fact that in a free society, other people are able to have different opinions. So the war here is really a war on free speech, on liberty, on the very democratic process itself, uh, because the left, uh, and I think very much encouraged through our university system, believe that the current set of values that they have are superior, morally superior to anybody else that takes a different view and that they think entitles them to suspend, as I say, our rights of free speech, liberty and democracy. And it means we're actually in a very, very dangerous period where a growing number of people, particularly the young, think that it's acceptable to suppress alternative opinions. And the really worrying thing is where are the so-called conservatives? 
where are the people you know, in our government actually making a stand for free speech? Because from what I can see, uh, you know, they've gone along in many cases through this current crisis uh, with the politically correct mob uh, and not stood up. We need a bit more moral courage uh, in this country. Do, do you see a, a future role for the Brexit party and for you as a politician, um, although no longer an MEP now, obviously, no. um, for you leading a party uh, fighting back against this? Is this the next big battle? It is a very big battle. Of course it is. Um, uh, you know, the Brexit party was formed because the Conservative Party had openly misled the British public about what they were going to do. Um, and thank goodness we did it because we got, you know, we got rid of Mrs May. We got this back on track. And if we hadn't, I don't think we'd have left on the 31st of January this year. There are, of course, other bigger, broader political fights. Uh, and, and this one, this is a huge, huge issue, uh, because if we don't allow people to have free speech in this country, then the divisions that already exist here will get worse. Uh, the Brexit party is watching the Brexit process, the Brexit negotiations like a hawk. You know, we like very much what David Frost has to say. We're waiting to see what the delivery is. Um, beyond that, you know, let's wait and see, Julia. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk 
Radio. George Eustace joins us now. He's the Environment Secretary. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. And I know we're going to be talking a little bit about what comes under your remit in terms of a long-term plan to tackle flooding. But of course, uh, we'd be remiss not to talk to you, first of all, about face masks. Face coverings will be compulsory in uh, all shops in England uh, in 10 days' time on the 24th of July uh, in face of a £100 fine if you don't wear it. Um, Why has the government uh, come to this decision now, given that in March, we were told at the peak of the virus we should not wear face masks and only on Sunday your cabinet colleague Michael Gove was saying they shouldn't be compulsory. Well I think the point to note is our you know, advice in this area has been evolving partly because the evidence has uh, been changing so the World Health Organization updated uh, their own advice in this area and, uh, and put more credence on wearing a mask saying that that could stop the spread from someone who's infected to others and following that we therefore gave guidance that in enclosed spaces people should wear masks Um, and uh, we made it compulsory mandatory to wear masks on public transport uh, from um, you know from June and uh, you know this is just really an evolution as we move to the next steps we've decided to put in place you know mandatory requirements now as we loosen other parts of the lockdown so has the science changed has the scientific and medical advice changed or is this more about public confidence people have been told to come out of lockdown and they're not coming out of lockdown and you think that this will encourage people is it about the science or is it just about perception well i think it's a combination of the science in that the world health organization strengthened their advice around uh, face masks back in june um and you know some countries that have handled this well were wearing face masks and the the advice has therefore changed but there's a second uh, thing julia which is you know as we continue to loosen uh parts of the lockdown opening pubs opening restaurants requiring uh, you know slightly um closer distancing in in some areas opening hairdressers you know the more areas that you open you know the more pressure you put on that infection rate and so when considering the mix of other mitigations that you put in place to try to control that infection rate you know strengthening the uh, guidance and making it mandatory in some settings for face masks uh, is a sensible thing to do. Um, So if the World Health Organization advice uh, changed in June and we eased the lockdown uh, in June and then the 4th of July Super Saturday we were allowed out to the pubs and the restaurants why didn't face masks become compulsory then? Well, um, because the, the you know the, the fact of the matter is we did change uh, our position as soon as that World Health Organization advice came out. Uh, we recommended that people wear face masks. That was advisory in the first instance. Um, we then strengthened that to make it mandatory uh, in uh, public transport because that's where the risk is greatest. Uh, and now that we have uh, you know opened uh, other areas, other parts of the economy. Um, and uh, you know we're considering the, the mix of measures and mitigations that we have in place. Uh, we deem that this is the right time to strengthen the guidance okay. further and make it mandatory on to have face masks in retail environments. There's always a you know a balance here. We're we're trying to you know both loosen the restrictions that we've had in place and simultaneously put in place certain mitigations that will uh, you know reduce the impact of that on the infection rate. Um, and as we you know go on, it's sort of an evolving situation and you know the evidence has moved a bit but also 
the measures that we've had in place and the lockdown has been eased, so it's right to review the measures we have in place. OK, um, who's going to enforce it? I get to the train home from work every day. Now, I get, in a, I get in a car in the morning, the early hours of the morning, and the driver is required to wear a mask by the company and uh, and they require me as a passenger to wear a mask, because I absolutely I do. I'm required to wear one in my building as well. You know, basically, you know, if you, you don't come in the building if you're not wearing a mask, frankly. Uh, happy to abide by those rules. I get on the train, I'm told there's a big sign there saying, you must wear a mask. Every single day, there are people in my tube garage who are not wearing a mask. The TfL, the Transport for London staff, this is London-based, obviously people are travelling on buses and trains around the country. They tell me they are they do not have the powers to enforce that. Who's going to enforce wearing of face coverings in shops? Well, it's uh, something that the police ultimately would have the power to enforce, as they have really with all of the restrictions we've had throughout this. How many police officers have we got? Have we got enough for every shop? So, so someone wants to walk into a shop, unless the shop has got a security guard saying, you may not come in, what do shop workers do? Do they refuse to serve? Are they entitled to make a citizen's arrest? Who's going to enforce it? Because you haven't got a police officer in every little corner news agent or every big Tesco's. Who's going to enforce it? No, but I think um, that's always the case with uh, police and Julia. You require and rely on uh, the public playing their part and generally abiding by rules that are introduced. It's been the case throughout this lockdown that the police have had to take a pragmatic and sensible approach. Um, yes, sometimes issuing fixed penalty notices for people who breached lockdown, for instance, early on, um, or you know, people who weren't abiding by rules, they did use those enforcement powers, but they used them proportionately and pragmatically and generally issued guidance to people and, um, and asked them to, to start to comply with the rules. I suspect what will happen in this instance is the retailers will uh, you know, strongly advise people that they uh, should as they come in. If they haven't got a face mask, they'll be telling them they need to uh, have one. We've given people a little bit of time to get ready for this, to make sure everyone's got their face mask. Um, but ultimately, if it uh, comes to it and someone is blatantly uh, refusing to abide by the rules, then you know, it is the police that have the enforcement powers at that point. You know, but lots of other people, including you know security staff on shops or shopkeepers themselves, uh, will be obviously playing their role to encourage people to abide by this new rule. Okay, but again, unless you're actually going to police it, I'm not. I'm not. I have police officers there to deal with it. I'm not quite sure how you do. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, latest. Uh, well, I suppose this is good news. The latest GDP figures for the month of May have been published in the last few moments, uh, and it shows that the UK economy has grown incredibly by 1.8 percent in May as uh, people started to sort of make some sort of economic recovery. This, of course, after a massive uh, plunge uh, in uh, by 20.4% uh, in April. What's your reaction to that news? Well, I think it simply reflects the fact that obviously when we had the initial lockdown, uh, there was that very, very sharp contraction uh, in GDP, as you would expect, because entire sectors of the economy were closed. Uh, as we've emerged from lockdown, we're seeing, a, you know, a gentle um, return to growth, but obviously from a lower basis, we've had that contraction. This is going to be a very, you know, difficult journey out of this. Rishi uh, Sunak last week uh, announced a very comprehensive package of measures to uh, try to get the economy going, to try to get more people, um, uh, you know, eating out and to have uh, new easements on VAT for the restaurant and catering sector. So a lot has been done 
to, to try to help get the economy going. But it's going to be a difficult journey ahead. OK, let's also talk about your remit as Environment Secretary. You're publishing today a, a new a long-term plan to tackle the risks of flooding and coastal erosion. Obviously, we've seen some horrific flooding. It seems like a lifetime ago uh, in the last couple of years. Tell us what the plan involves. Well, we've set out a, a record amount of investment, £5.2 billion pounds, uh, over the next uh, you know, five or six years. Uh, to invest in flood infrastructure. And the approach that we uh, will be taking is, first of all, trying to manage whole water catchment. So looking at an entire river system, whether we can make big interventions upstream, uh, such as a project I saw at Shrewsbury to, uh, to try to manage water that can then have impacts right the way through uh, that, that uh, um, uh, water catchment. Looking also at nature-based solutions, so more tree planting can sometimes reduce um, water pressure and um, you know, flood risk when you have uh, flash flooding, uh, and also trying to make communities more resilient and looking, for instance, at the planning system to ensure that we're not building houses in inappropriate areas on floodplains uh, where um, we, you know, we'll have problems in the future. So a, a range of things set out in this strategy and a record amount of money to go with it because this is a big challenge that we need to prepare for. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's talk to Professor Melinda Mills, who's Director of the uh, Leverholm Centre for Demographic Science at the University of Oxford. Good morning to you, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. Um, is there scientific evidence, uh, medical evidence now, that wearing face masks protects either the wearer or uh, the person, uh, the people they uh, come into contact with, that has changed since we first had this pandemic uh, hit the world? Yes, definitely. So I did a systematic review. I led one for the Royal Society and the British Academy. We looked at thousands of studies. And what we found is, yes, it's definitely uh, much more protective of the wearer, so, so people that wear it. But um, more importantly, it's really protective if you have, and you were just talking about what's the difference between a covering and a mask. So if you have a really good, high-quality um, uh, cloth mask that's multi-layered, high-quality cotton. It's also very protective uh, for the for people around you as well. So the evidence is now um, very clear, and it's good to hear that the the policies are now starting to shift in that direction. Um, the the evidence we were told I mean, back in March, Professor Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer, specifically said the public don't wear masks. The argument we've told been told since is that they were very worried that they were going to run out of the vital masks as part of the PPE for healthcare workers who who needed them. There's a big shortage at the time um, but also we're told that the evidence wasn't very clear then that it made any difference so has it actually changed since have we got more evidence or is it about the fact that actually the real world evidence as opposed to uh, what has been modeled on computers has suggested that there is more benefit to wearing masks than had been previously thought yeah, so the evidence was always out there, but we have to look in the right places. So what happened before is they were saying that there's no clear evidence, and it was actually really a very narrow um, you know, uh, interpretation of evidence. So they were looking at medical um, studies and randomized control trials. So that's like something if you compare, um, you know, does a pill work in a certain population in comparison to, to a control group? And, and behavior such as face coverings, that's not, um, you know, that's not like a, a pill or a randomized control trial. So it doesn't work. So what we did is we looked broader at, you know, countries that went through SARS and MERS, these, these um, you know, other respiratory pandemics. And we looked at that literature in addition to COVID. And then it was re just really clear that there was actually a lot of observational evidence out there. And it's not just face coverings.
coverings alone, um, all countries that have been really effective with keeping the number of deaths down and spread of infection have introduced face coverings together with hand hygiene and also social distancing. And they did it very early. So it's that combination of things, um, you know, so the, the evidence in the beginning was there, but they were just interpreting it very narrowly. So, so is this is this actually a move that should have come in back in well, as early as February or March? Is it too little too late? Well, what we've seen, you know, if you look at what the Asian countries, they've already experienced um, SARS before. So they, you know, if you look at their lessons learned, you know, introducing face coverings was pandemic 101 for them. They used to send out, you know, kits <laughs> with face masks in them. So, you know, the ones that introduced um, face face coverings together with, you know, multiple other things early um, actually have experienced fewer deaths. So, you know, think about China. It's got um, just under 5,000 deaths. It sounds like a lot. Well, well it, no, it hasn't. China's got, we know it's way, way more than that. We can't trust any more, figure from China. About South, South Korea. Okay, South Korea. Um, you know, 289 deaths, almost 300 deaths, a population of 52 million. You know, that's in total. You know, so, so yes, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, definitely there's some underreporting and we could get into that and we can talk mm. about that. But the countries that introduced it very early, yeah. swiftly, quickly, you know, they've, uh, you know, they've learned the lessons from, okay. from SARS. I'm um, just finally on that front. Um, it, in terms of the, the people saying, well, hold on a minute, the wearing a mask can have its own risk. The way, you know, people put, I mean, I'm, I, the moment I put a mask anywhere near my face, I then suddenly have the itchiest face in the world. People, you know, they touch the mask, their hands maybe not perfectly clean. They, they pick off the front of the mask. Uh, they just put it in their bag. They just put the same one on again. Is there more risk to us from doing that than not wearing? Wearing a mask? Is there a concern? Is, is If we're going to do the mask wearing, do we make sure we do it absolutely properly? Yeah, so with the campaigns that have been really effective is people have to know what to wear. So it's these cloths, they have to know when and where to wear it and how to wear it. So, um, you know, not to have gaps. And, um, and I think what's really important, too, is, you know, people are asking, you know, questions. I have glasses or can I wash it and those kind of things. And I mean, it's, it's important that the government's very clear about those kind of messages. And I think it's really important about who cannot wear it. So people with disabilities and, you know, uh, younger children, uh, you know, don't need to wear them because it's very difficult for those people to wear it. And that has to be made very clear um, to everyone as well, too. Okay. So it's those kind of barriers that we just need to talk about and, uh, and discuss in more detail now that it's become very clear we should wear them. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.